And good, let's start this new beer and tech. Welcome everyone and welcome Arnaud to the beer tech. Thank you so much to being with us. Uh, as usual, a quick introduction uh, about Arnaud and his experience. Arnaud has been uh, a docker in two positions, core engineer and senior engineering manager, then uh, VP. Uh, again, two, uh, two roles. Uh, you started by VP Engineering uh, and Deputy CTO. And today, uh, you have the founder, you are the founder, sorry, of Echo HQ. So, first, icebreaker question and a <laughs> funny question for you, I guess. What is your favorite beer? Yeah, hi. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not much of a beer drinker, so I'm actually alternating between water and uh, Coke Zero. So, uh, I, I, so sorry, I, I don't have a good answer. I promise that I will have better answers to other questions related to the talk. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I led you as uh, a floor to your talk and uh, for today, data engineering and uh, also a, a demo of your uh, product uh, Echoes. So I'll let you share your screen. The floor is yours. Right. So let me start by sharing my screen. And for people, and for people as usual, uh, you can uh, ask your question is a Slido. Uh, I can maybe share the link again in, uh, in Brazil. Yes, please do ask questions. Um, it's a pretty open talk. You'll see. Uh, I, I talk about my past experiences, what gets me to to work on that topic today. So, uh, anything and everything, uh, happy happy to answer for sure. So, hi everyone. So, uh, thank you for the presentation, Didier. Um, sorry, it's not changing slide. Yeah. So about me. So uh, I'm born in Paris. I'm currently living in Amsterdam. As Didier mentioned, I was previously deputy CTO at VP. Um, I was before that leading the core team at Docker, now founder at Echoes HQ. So first, a disclaimer, this is not going to be a sales pitch. I'm going to talk about my experiences, my opinions. Inevitably, my opinions align with the company that I'm building. But still, this is not going to be a sales pitch. So um, talking a bit about my past experiences and, and what got me uh, interested in this topic in the first place. So my previous job uh, from 2017 to 2021, was about working at VP. Um, we were in a context with 600 engineers. We had literally hundreds of priorities, um, a mix of strategic pillars, OKRs, uh, an aging code base where we needed to have significant efforts toward paying off the technical debt and changing the architecture. And in this context, um, I was struggling with the lack of data. I was struggling because there was a lack of alignment between the teams and the planning process, meaning that as much as we were deciding about OKRs and strategy, there was just so many, so many priorities and so much to do that we were not actually clear on what each team was e executing against. Then we had the problem of not understanding the real impact of our historical monoliths, which is a problem for many different reasons. Um, one of them being it's extremely hard to decide what we are going to work on if we cannot estimate beforehand what's going to be the, the bottleneck of our historical monolith. And then there was a third problem, major one, which is that VP, as much as it is known 
uh, for its tech product doesn't have so much of a tech DNA initially. And that means that we had stakeholders who were not necessarily uh, you know, engineers or have a tech background. And we needed to communicate what is it that we're working on, why is it that we were struggling with this or that aspect of the, the system, and just be able to create, I would say, a shared context between the technical teams and our stakeholders. Then before that, there was the experience at Docker. Um, here, the context is vastly different. I'm going to assume that most of you are, are familiar with Docker. In this context, um, basically, I had at one point a team of 15 engineers, and we had to handle 400 pull requests on a weekly basis. So 400 new pull requests each week from the community that we needed to handle. This is just extremely hard to manage. And uh, we needed data. We needed data to understand our bottlenecks. Where is it that we were spending time and being able to, to, to get every meaningful uh, bit of efficiency we could gain just to make sure that we were actually staying on top and not going underwater. We needed to surface the important items from the noise. Uh, one of the things that happens, and I'm sure you know this, you also, you, you also have a significant open source project, when there's a lot of signals coming in, it's very hard to surface the things that are actually important. Uh, one of the examples with Docker is that when you have thousands of issues being opened by thousands of people on, uh, on GitHub, you may not even notice when one particular issue is getting a lot of attention. So just being able to surface the things that are actually being pretty hot right now on the repo and understanding, like, is there something happening there was actually crucial for us. Then internally, we wanted to measure if we were growing a healthy community. So that also requires data just to understand whether not only you know, the number of stars and this kind of things were actually good, but more importantly, whether the people who were contributing were treated well, whether the people who were contributing were actually returning to the project to contribute again in the future, um, whether there was um, equal treatment of contributors regardless of their employer, meaning that uh, there was no advantage to being a Docker employee to get a pull request in uh, merging to the product, all those kind of things. There was also a point about communicating um, externally on the fairness of the project, because there was attention from a lot of companies, Intel, Red Hat, Google, Amazon, and we needed to show that, yes, the, the, the project was, uh, was healthy. One other thing, and I don't know if that's also something you're, you're living in, but um, we also had to constantly explain how much we were spending on the open source project against the, uh, the internal roadmaps, and in, per and in particular, the enterprise products. That is a constant uh, you know, tug of war, constant uh, juggle to explain uh, the value of both and the, the proper arbitrage between both, because there's constantly going to be voices that we're doing too much or too little for the open source. So to, to, to put all that together, I would say that engineering management requires data for several things, but most importantly, to make informed decisions. Management position, by definition, means that your decisions are going to impact dozens or hundreds of collaborators. And that means that you shouldn't take them lightly. You cannot work with gut feeling alone. Sometimes this is all you have. But it's, it, it, you have to be very, very deliberate about the fact that your decision are going to have a meaningful impact on the people who are working on the team. And that's not something that should be taken lightly. The other thing is to be able to share context and to dispassionate the debates. Um, I think it's human, but in all the companies that I've worked in, we've heard at some point, 
we're doing too much of X and not enough of Y. So in the example of Docker, maybe we were doing too much open source and not enough enterprise. And maybe in the context of VP, we were doing too much technical roadmap and not enough product roadmap. You know, it's it, there's. I'm sure that we have ex you have examples in mind um, of what I mean by this. Other things that, that 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 I heard and I don't like hearing is they spend all their time on the wrong thing. You know, like there's one group here or there that should be working on this, but is actually working on that, and we are waiting for this, which is more important. Which you know is usually representative of the fact that there is uh, misaligned incentives or misaligned roadmaps, and uh, not enough. Um, how can I say this? Not enough material things to discuss. So it's a lot about feelings and a lot about uh, sentiment, which is usually not a great way to settle debates. And the third one, which is my absolute favorite, can't we can't we just go faster? You know, like those those miracle words of, come on, like it's there's a lot of you. You can probably do more than what you're doing right now. We can just go faster. No, most often we can't. Um, and the last one, avoiding relying on anecdotes alone. Uh, I'm sure you all heard this one too. Like I had a drink, I had a drink with X after work, and I think we should. Yeah, no, that that's not a great way to uh, to make decisions. Um, but what about developer productivity? Well, notice that none of the things that I've talked so far are really about developer productivity, and that is clearly my opinions and my bias. But in my personal experience, developer productivity is rarely the bottleneck to an engineering organization's performance. What I mean by this is that I have yet to see a project or a company fail because developers were not going fast enough. Most often what I'm seeing is that there's a lack of clarity of goals, there's a lack of focus, there's a lack of collaboration across different functions. And I think this is a, a much more important factor to success than developer productivity alone. And I know that, you know, Having in the past worked for Docker, it might seem like I'm saying that developer productivity doesn't matter. It's absolutely not the case. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it's not going to compensate for a suboptimal context, meaning that you can have the best engineers in the world. They can have the, the most efficient tools in the world. If you're not sure what you're putting your efforts into, and if you're not sure what goals you're pursuing, nothing good will come out of it. And, and I think this is really the, the the core of uh, of my beliefs at this point and um kind of a kind of a difference compared to the rest of the industry which i think at this point is very very focused about developer productivity probably too focused about developer productivity so let's talk about about uh, about developer experience um but before that i'm gonna do a small parenthesis to talk about data in a whole different world than ours, which is data in sports. So I don't know if some of you have attended the TechRocks Summit at the end of last year, uh, 2021, but there was an amazing keynote uh, by somebody you probably know uh, named Fabien Galtier. So Fabien Galtier, he's the coach of the French national rugby team. He has been a player for, uh, for, for decades, um, an excellent player. And um, he gave a talk about data for management in rugby. And that was super interesting because there's, there's just so many parallels with our, our situation right now. So I'll tell you a bit about what he, what, he, uh, what he said. So what he said is that his first contact with uh, data in his sport was back in 2002 when he was a player. And uh, before a game, he had his coach back then tell him like, 
by the way, for this game, uh, I'll let you know that there's going to be sensors on the field. So we're going to measure. We're going to measure things. And he was like, "Yeah, okay, well, well sure." They played the game. They won. Um, he happened to have been uh, selected a most valuable player for this game, so he was really proud of his impact. And his coach came to him to tell him, "Hey, you you didn't run much." And he was really dumbfounded by the remark because it it you know it's the the contrast was so wide between like you didn't run much I'm the MVP for the game we won like not sure what to make of it um, and then fast forward to 2021 he explained how data was now a major aspect of the game so again now he's not a player he's coach um, how he had actually data scientists full time working for him to to analyze the data from the games. And, and help him make better decisions and help him um, uh, grow the team. And one of the examples he gave was, um, we're not looking at how much players have run individually. We're looking, for example, at moments where the players have run for no good reasons. And therefore, they, they were out of energy and they lacked impact when it was most needed. Um, and I think that, that that's really super interesting because if if we try and plot basically the, the different data the data points that he uh, that he shared, we can see that there's really two axes. There there's the thing that were really about the individual and the thing that were more about the group, and there's the things that were more about the activity such as running and the things that were more about results such as wasted energy having impact on the field etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And really, what what's interesting to me is that you can see how basically in their game for in the past twenty years. The, the discussions has shifted from individual activity, you didn't run much, to actually measuring wasted energy, making sure that they had a team dynamic that could make them win the game. Um, I've, as you can probably see now, there, there's a lot, I think, of parallels with how we approach data in our own craft. One thing I should say here, uh, because it's not all black or white, um, they still use in sports individual measurements about activity, things such as, um, well, typically distance run, et cetera, et cetera. But clearly, they, they, they are um, in a context where individual performance matters also because there's only so many players on the field. And we're talking about uh, worldwide comp world competition level, basically. So in engineering, we have kind of the same dark history. Um, historically, what we do with engineering data is very much at odds with developer experience in different ways. One of the ways is in the process. Uh, usually, when we want data about how engineering is working, we're going to ask for things such as our base time cheating, or we're going to ask about filing tickets for every commit, or we're going to just enforce a one-size-fits-all development process for everyone just for the sake of accommodating our own needs for data collection, which seems awkward. Then there's the interpretation. Um, there has been in the past temptations to evaluate individual developer performance using arbitrary metrics, lines of codes, number of pull requests, ticket close, the velocity, or you name it, which you know is in the end not so different than evaluating a player on the field by saying that he run that number of kilometers. Then there's the question of ethics, of course, when we're talking about uh, it's borderline surveillance, basically, at some point, when you're looking at what everyone is doing on a daily basis, you know, it's almost like you could look at keystrokes or uh, hours spent in front of the computer, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in our field. 
And so the current state of the space is that at this point, I think the, the need is well recognized. Um, there's demand from engineering leaders who, who do realize that it's very hard to make decisions, especially in a context where organizations are tending toward more autonomy and less control. Um, if you look at tech, uh, maybe 20 years ago, tech was very much treated as an assembly line. So what you wanted was not so much um, surprising results or great impact. What you were looking for is mostly predictability. But this is changing. Um, tech is at the center of most companies today. Tech is at the center of the, the growth engine of most companies today. So we are less and less about control and more and more about autonomy. Um, and that means that for the managers, it's also less decision-making powers in their hands. And that means that they must be sure that there's a, a, a nice line being drawn, basically, between the things that are in the hands of the teams and the things that are in their control and that they should be deciding upon. And then we have the acceleration uh, adoption of hybrid and remote work, of course, that we didn't necessarily plan for because of COVID. But that's the reality that we are in today. It's even harder for manager to get a good sense of what is happening when everything is happening uh, individually at home. So there's plenty of solutions in the market to help with this. And they do feel a gap because, again, there, there's a need. Um, but my, my opinion is that we're still very much at the you didn't run enough stage. And that's, I think, why there's, there's a lot uh, we could do differently. So what, what is the next frontier? Um, the next frontier, I think, is that we, can, we have to accept that we cannot and shouldn't measure individual developers. We know at this point that software development first is a team sport. Like individuals are not going to make a significant difference unless the team allows. And then it's a creative work. Uh, we've gone through years and decades of measuring tech like an assembly line. We know today that predictability in software development is not something that we can aim for. We can aim for predictability in the process. We cannot aim for predictability in the results because it's creative work. One thing that I've heard a lot is uh, sales team have Salesforce. Engineering needs an equivalent. For me, this is a red flag. I don't think that engineering will ever have an equivalent of Salesforce because I don't think that the craft of engineering resembles sales in any way. And that's not to say that sales is easy or anything like this, don't get me wrong. But it's an entirely different job. Sales is less of a team sport. Um, sales is probably more predictable, or at least there's a higher correlation between activity and results. Um, which we're just not seeing in engineering. So what we know at this point is that if we cannot evaluate the individuals, we have to evaluate the systems. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we delivering business value frequently and sustainably? This is, this is the very generic mission statement of any engineering organization out there. Uh, we're here to solve business problems in a way that is sustainable for, for ourselves and for the company. Contraintuitively, um, when we evaluate a tech organization this way, we say more about the quality of the management than we say about the quality of the engineers, meaning that an organization is only going to be successful in delivering business value sustainably and frequently when, again, there's clarity of goals, there's good collaboration, there's, there's a proper context more than there's uh, the, the right individuals. It's, it's a combination of both, really. And really what I'm seeing is, what I'm thinking is that in the next 
coming years, we're going to really shift the conversation from individual performance to the collective ability of the organization to deliver value. And that means that now it's not about measuring whether people are doing well, it's about measuring whether management are creating the best condition for success, which by itself is a virtuous circle, because when you're building an effective organization, you're going to ship more impact, your stakeholders are going to be happier, everybody's going to be happier. And you know, the best recipe for a productive organizations is for people to be happy and proud about what they're building. And I think this is really what we should be looking at. So now begs the question of the value of measurement. Uh, we've talked about what we should be measuring, what I think we should be measuring at least. But now the question is, how do we build something that is actually valuable for the person, the people who are looking at it? So measuring an organization's ability to deliver value, there's going to be three major pitfalls. The first one is that there's going to be temptation to go and measure what's already there. So you're going to want to look into uh, Git data, Jira data, whatever, but taking the bits that you have here and there and try to mix and match. There's also going to be temptation to measure the activities. Again, how much have you run? Other results, did you actually win the game? And then there's the very common pitfall that we are in a, in a business where everything is measurable. Like literally everything we do is measurable, but not everything should be. So where do we draw the line between the things that can be and the things that should be? And that's a super interesting topic for me in, in its own. And there's a book that I found that for me was really uh, mind-blowing in many aspects and that I, I really recommend just for the sake of the mental exercise. It's called How to Measure Anything. Uh, the author is Douglas Herbard. Herbard sorry. Um, and he says, and he talks a lot about what makes a, a measurement of high value. And what he says is, what makes a measurement of high value is a lot of uncertainty combined with a high cost of being wrong. It's very simple, but there's a lot in this, uh, in this sentence. And the other thing that he says is, if a measurement matters at all, it is because it must have some conceivable effect on decisions and behaviors. If we can't identify a decision that could be affected by a proposed measurement and how it could change those decisions, then the measurement simply has no value. And um, I'm constantly trying to map this framework to everything we do. Like, are we showing something that is of high value to someone? So when he says a lot of uncertainty with a high cost of being wrong, the, the first thing we have to understand is that some things are in, uncertain, yet have no purpose of being measured. I'm just going to use one example, the number of lines of codes in a code base. If you ask me today how many lines of codes we have in Echoes HQ, I have no, not the single idea. I know I, I will probably going to be off by millions, but doesn't matter. No, it absolutely doesn't matter. Like, what decisions am I going to take differently, knowing that there's three millions of lines of codes versus five? It just doesn't matter. This is typically what we call vanity metrics. It makes you feel good. You can see, you know, numbers go up. But all right, yeah, what, what are you going to do with this? There's also things that may be certain today, but could have an interesting trajectory over time. So a build time or the size of a compiled artifact, that might be something that is relevant to your business because maybe it's going to impact some decisions. And that may be very certain today, but the fact that it doubled in the past year might not be obvious. Then it has to have some conceivable effects on decisions, um, which is an interesting question because it means that the value of the measurement is really in the eye of the beholder. It's really in the, in the eye of the person who's looking at the measurement. Um, that's, again, my own opinions, but 
one of the things that I think we're not doing right right now in the industry is that we're measuring things and we're treating them as data points for management. But the thing is, not everything should be acted upon by management. Um, one of the examples that I'm using here is the CI time. How much time is spent in the CI process, uh, the automated test to run on a code base. This is not a bad measurement in itself, because uh, that is directly linked to the ability of the team to iterate faster. But when this is being surfaced as a metric to management, to a VP engineering, to a CTO, what is it that, that, that this person is going to do with it? Like, in, if, if I'm myself the CTO and you tell me that this team has a CI that takes 15 minutes, who am I to say if this is good or bad? And, and that, I think, is, the, is the really the crux of the problem. It's everything can be measured. Not everything is valuable. And not everything is valuable to everyone. And I think you have to be very clear about who you're going to show this data to and how it's going to be interpreted. Um, also covering from the fact that you know, everything that can be used wrongly might be used wrongly. And that, that I think, is, is very crucial. This is a debate that, that I've had uh, constantly in my past roles. At, at some point, there's always going to be a point where people tell you, like, we have to measure results, we have to measure things. And then somebody will come up with a number, let's say, I don't know, uh, cut, cut coverage, for example. And then inevitably, there's going to be debates about what's the right level of code coverage. But this is the kind of questions that don't have an answer for anybody but the team who is working on the problem. I cannot tell you whether your cut coverage should be 20 or 80%. Um, but if that's something that matters to you, you should know, and probably you should measure it. But as a CTO or as a VP of engineering, or probably even as a manager, like I don't think code coverage should be your concern. I think, again, delivering business value frequently and sustainably should be your concern. Maybe cut coverage is the right tool to make sure that you're shipping value more frequently in a way that is more qualitative for your users, but it's just a tool, and it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the metric that you're looking at. I couldn't talk about data for engineering management without mentioning Accelerate. Um, those are a special beast because they are demonstrated to be good proxies of an organization's software delivery performance. It's it's actual research. It's actual uh, um, how can I say this? Re really extensive research, and it's and it's proven to be good proxies. So you may know them as the four DevOps metrics: so lead time, release frequency, mean time to recovery, and change deployment failure. It's not the end of things. It's uh, again, it's just four measurements. It's four measurements that I have to mention because the truth is, everybody's thinking of them right now, and a lot of people are putting them in place right now. For, if I'm being fully transparent, I think they are in this dangerous gray area of being things that are relevant to the team, but potentially misinterpreted by management as you know, the, the silver bullet to measuring performance. Um, again, there, um, a, lot of them, a lot of them capture interesting aspects, but it's not the end of things. And even the author, the principal author, Nicole Fosgren, knows it. Uh, she went much further in another article called The Space of Developer Productivity, where she covers much more than uh, those four metrics, talking about satisfaction and well-being, performance, activity, communication and collaboration, and efficiency and flow. So I really recommend this article because it's it goes way broader. Uh, and I think it's, um, it's uh, a very interesting read to complement Accelerate. So putting, out, putting it all together, um, if I summarize, there's really three things that I think 
uh, for me are really key. Helping managers creating the condition for success, doing so with developer experience in mind and building something which is virtuous for developers, and having valuable measurements. Measurements that, again, by the preceding um, examples, are, are of high value. What's in the middle is what I'm trying to crack and to productize. Uh, and again, this is not a sales pitch. I'm not pretending I have. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm trying. <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully, I'll succeed. Um, so our key principles with what we're building with Echoes is focusing on the impact over the efficiency of the development process. So again, we're trying to move away from the idea that tech is an assembly line. And we're trying to bridge the gap between technical and business teams, meaning that we want to look at uh, we want to look at impact. We want to look at business impact and having a shared language between um, the leadership, the business teams, and tech. So not talking about number of commits, not talking about number of pull requests, which are extremely abstract, and say nothing about the value that you actually have. Um, not compromising on developer experience. That means no individual metrics. Um, and no one-size-fits-all fourth process. And the last key principle that we have is that we're trying to show, but not to judge, meaning that we consider that, again, our, the definition of good is not ours to decide. I mentioned the, uh, the, the, the point previously about cut coverage. This is basically the idea. It's, you, you may think that this is your target and that you want to aim for it. Good. We're not, that, that's not our decision to make. We're not the one to decide what's good and what's not good for your organization. Where we are today is that we started by capturing why we're doing what we're doing and to automate reports that shine a light on how we allocate our efforts. That's the beginning. Where we want to go is to measure the impact of engineering work and have the whole ancestry from business results to deliverables to efforts. Because basically, my vision and my dream is to be able to have something that can attribute wins to engineering and not only costs, which is something that we have been doing for a long time, but uh, I think the world has changed, and that today tech is uh, responsible for more um, growth than it is of costs. That's for my presentation. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know in which order we should do things. Probably question first, and maybe show the product later if we have time. Or uh, yeah, as you want. Uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much for this insightful presentation. So we can start with a few questions around this presentation and maybe then uh, have a quick demo of your of your product um to, 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 time for me to share my screen so uh, i think the first the first one about the metric is already answered so i could move directly to the next question uh, do you have example of change that were made to improve this bottleneck and how we were detected, we decide to focus on them? So do you have some example in mind? Oh, my God, I have so many. <laughs> uh, so um, I'm going to take several extremes to give you a, a breadth of, uh, of different things. But um, at Docker, the, the major problem we had, the major bottleneck we had uh, dealing with the pull requests was really about making sure that we were never doing something twice. Mm. Uh, one of the things we hate, we hated with GitHub is that there's no clear history of who did what. So one example I'll give you is you have a pull request being open. It is open, let's say, for three days. One maintainer opens the pull request, looks at it, maybe starts a review, has doubts, doesn't know if that's something we should really be doing or not. 
and he closes the tab and moves on. And then another maintainer opens the pull request, reads through the changes, doesn't really know what decision to make, closes the tabs and moves on. And you already spent you know, two, uh, two pair of eyeballs you're looking at a pull request with no actual decision out of it. Another example that I absolutely hated when I was working at Docker is, uh, oh, there's a CI failure. That's probably a flaky test. Run it again. Run it again. It fails. Another maintainer comes in. Oh, tests are read. Probably a flaky test. Run it again. And you have no idea how many times this has been done. Uh, but it's not actually solving anything. So here, the, the goal was really, in this context, to measure our processes in terms of the time we were spending doing those different things and making sure that we're never doing uh, things twice. Two reasons for this. The one, one is that we were so constrained in terms of uh, staff that we needed to be perfectly efficient. The other one is that it makes up for a bad contributor experience when you're doing things twice. Uh, it means that the PR takes longer to review. It means that potentially we're going to ask for things during reviews that are not the right time to do. Like uh, I remember when I joined Docker, we had this thing that was absolutely terrible where a contributor would open a PR somebody would comment that there was a typo in the docs and later on somebody will say we're closing the pr we don't need the feature okay but then why did we review the docs you know it's uh, this is just backwards that's one example uh, specifically in the development flow at docker at vp um, at vp the bottleneck was prioritization so it's a harder problem because we had 65 teams more or less um, three major historical monoliths and uh, hundreds of initiatives. And this was extremely hard because when I joined the company, I was put in a position where basically I was told, why aren't things going faster? There are 600 of you. And that's a very tough question to answer because there's good and bad reasons for which we're not going faster. There's reasons that are entirely the responsibility of tech. You know, the fact that we didn't manage the transition to newer systems, the fact that we were not state of the art in terms of practices, et cetera, et cetera. And there's things that are about the business. There's things that you have on which you have to educate the business on regarding how their decision are trickling on the teams also and making clear that, you know, when you have one team who's actually juggling between 15 priorities, there's no way that they're going to go fast. Like it's literally impossible. And you can add engineers. You can, you know, you can make them work work more hours. It's just not going to happen. There's 15 priorities. It is not going to happen, and that's extremely hard because it means that you have to explain how time is spent, why the time is spent in a valuable way. Because there's always somebody who's going to say like, "This is more important than this." Okay, let's have a discussion, but usually not that easy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, there there's. A bunch of examples I, I could give, but I think it's uh, really crucial to understand that um, no no improvement other than the bottlenecks are really useful. Got it. <clears throat> Another question about data engineering and product people, because you talk a lot about engineering for sure. Uh, so the question is pretty basic, but do you think this data engineering, this data metric, I would say? Could lead to good discussion with product people because you talk about impact, you talk about business value. Yeah, totally, absolutely. It's uh, the whole idea is really to be more to have more product-minded engineers. Um, and again, I think this is also one of the, the changes that we're going through. 
I think maybe 20 years ago, it was okay to be an engineer who was passionate about code and not necessarily about the business problem they were solving. Mm. I don't think this is really true anymore. And I, of course, I'm generalizing. And of course, you know, there's, there's enough room for everyone uh, in companies and in the market. But the truth is, at this point, like tech is way too central to business that we can really afford to ignore the business constraints and to ignore the business domain and to ignore the customers. And um, one of the things that happened is indeed the apparition of product teams and, and somebody to do this, this bridge. But I think, uh, I think it's going to get more and more um, mixed. And if you look today at some of the most successful tech companies, um, the lines are extremely blurred. Like, even the definitions that I'm using to talk about tech and business, there's no such thing when you talk to a company like Stripe or a company like Netflix that, that you know, tech is the business, that there's literally no difference. So yeah, totally. And, and one of the things that we're doing at Echoes for this is we're very deliberate in having no jargon in the reports, no commits, pull requests or things like this to make sure that anybody can read them and understand what we're talking about, including somebody in sales, somebody in marketing, somebody in product. Super clear. Another question. This one for Okers. Uh, do you use Yoker uh, quarterly or segment basis? And do you measure delivery vs outcome? Yeah. Uh, so do we use today at Echoes? Yes, we do OKRs, uh, but we are a very early stage startup. So well, actually, I shouldn't even say we use OKRs. We use a thing called the North Star framework, which mm -hmm. I really recommend, uh, but is more about longer term vision than immediate goals. At VP, we used OKRs. Uh, at Docker, we didn't. Um, what I what we did at VP with OKRs was a, a quarterly uh, basis, which worked more or less. Um, the, the problem with OKRs is that, well, generally, I'm not a big fan of anything that is really uh, on, on fixed dates. So having some something decided on January 1st that we're going to review in March 31st is not something that tends to work really, really well for a variety of reasons. One of the most typical reasons is to realize at the end of March that the, the objectives we decided early January were not relevant anymore or that we haven't even started working on them because there was something else happening. So I'm generally more uh, convinced by things like the North Star framework, which are more about capturing the, the broader direction and having a more continuous planning process regarding um, deliverables. So not looking at the three month time period, but just looking at the next, the next thing we should be doing and just do it. Um, regarding measuring delivery versus outcome, definitely a fan of measuring by outcomes. Um, now I think delivery, there's there's standards that you need to enforce to consider delivery to be good enough. So um, what we did at VP is that we were always measuring teams on outcomes. And one thing I should mention is that, for example, we had shared OKRs between product managers and uh, product owners, sorry, and, um, and um, the teams. So that means that, for example, the PM was incentivized on the availability of the service. At the same time, uh, the team was incentivized on the business results of the product. That was extremely uncomfortable to set up. Uh, people were not necessarily happy with it at first, but this is how you ensure that people are in the same boat and actually rowing in the same direction. 
um, so that means that we were we were measuring an outcome. Still, we had some sort of guidelines and thresholds that we were considering acceptable from a delivery perspective. So, for example, um, having automated releases, having releases at least every two weeks, things that are again kind of like Dora metrics, a good proxy that things are healthy, not not a silver bullet, not capturing everything, but at least you know the, it's kind of table stakes at this point. Okay. Um... Another question, again, this data engineering, uh, do you think this data engineering is a must to at any stage of a company? I mean, three people, like 30 people, 300 people, maybe yes? So it's, it's a super interesting question um, because I got it wrong. <laughs> I'm <gonna say> why. <laughs> um, when I started Echoes, I thought that I was going to build a product that was going to be useful for companies that had 100 engineers and plus. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that the sales process was defined accordingly. We're doing demos. There was no self-serve, anything like this. And um, the more we talked to, um, to people, the more we realized that there was interest in startups, including startups as small as four, five, 10 engineers. Uh, why? Several reasons. The first one is that when you have a very large team, you have a problem of understanding what's happening. When you have a very small team, you have a problem of making sure that every inch of energy is actually put to good use. And it's two very different problems, but two that have kind of a similar solution, which is that you want to make sure that you are very deliberate about the things you do and the things you don't. And I think focus in general is a concern, regardless of the size of the company. So what we're seeing right now is big companies using our product to make sense of what is happening and small companies using it not to make sense about what's happening because they know, but to challenge their own expectations about what they were really doing. Mm -hmm. So for example, we have a team, um, there, there's 10 engineers. Uh, they, um, they were, they were I, I would say there were different feelings about how they were really spending their time. Um, product was pushing to hire more engineers because they feel that the, they felt that the, dev the delivery was not strong enough. At the same time, engineering was pushing back, saying it's not that we're lacking engineering resources; it's more that we are actually not working on the right things. We are just spending too much time uh, perfecting features before putting them in the hands of the users, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. And that's the kind of debate that you know is is hard to settle because when you don't have data, it's all going to be my opinion versus your opinion, and this is. Typically, situations that can get pretty toxic if it's not resolved. Um, they ended up adopting Echoes specifically for this purpose, to be more um, honest about how they were actually spending their time. And you know, again, it's not about saying that they were doing right or doing wrong. It's just being honest about this is what we're doing. And if we disagree that this is the right, the, the, the right mix, then yes, we should have this discussion. Um, so yeah, in the end, I, I don't think there's really a good stage. I think it's uh, I think there is value for most companies for different reasons. However, okay, um, I look for the time. Fifteen minutes for your demo is enough or not? I don't know. I didn't prepare anything, so I can do it again. Five is fine. <laughs> Five is fine. Okay. So uh, another next question. Uh, I don't know what is Dagger.io, but uh, what do you think about yeah. Dagger.io? You know, yeah, so, so for those who don't know, Dagger.io is the new company founded by the former founders of Docker. So uh, Solomon Hikes, um, yeah. and uh, Andrea Duzardi. I was actually with them yesterday because we're looking <laughs> at together. Um, 
it is super interesting, but so what can I say? <laughs> it is it is super interesting. So for, for those who don't know, this is really about uh, changing, almost making a, a cloud-friendly makefile using a new language called Q, which is not widely known and widely adopted to replace your CI-CD pipelines. It is super powerful. Um, I do recommend it for companies that have a, a huge amount of you know, legacy shell scripts and, and uh, duct tape to hold the pipelines together, mm -hmm. because I think this is really killer on this. I would have definitely used it at VP. Um, what I think is difficult with Dagger is what is the right time to use it? Um, if I look at our own situation at Echoes, we're not looking into invest right now in using Dagger because we're a very small team and we have things under control. You know, it, okay, it's make files and it's shell scripts, and but it's, it's fine because we don't have a huge number of services. We have a, a strong knowledge of the things we've built and we don't have many teams. So, um, so that's, so that's fine. Um, I think there's a lot of potential, but the bar is pretty high because you have to learn Q. Okay, I will skip the next question because 10 minutes, uh, I will let you 10 minutes for, for, for your demo. So I, I can say the monolith before, as I share my screen, I can say the monolith was the monolith? very unfortunately, mostly SQL. Which didn't make things uh, any easier. So yeah, I, I didn't necessarily plan for a, a rich demo, so I, I'm just going to go through the product to explain our approach so far. And again, it's a, it's an early product. The vision is way broader than why what we are doing here. But as I mentioned, the very first point that we really cared about was measuring why we're doing why what we're doing in the first place. And that's why the, the starting point to using Echoes is to define what are the goals that you are pursuing as an organization. Um, how we define this in Echoes is by defining the outcomes that you are pursuing. So by default, you're going to have this set of outcomes that have already been customized for Akeneo. Um, but in this case, by default, what you're seeing is um, the things you're doing that are end-user visible changes meant to create customer value, the things you do to mitigate risks. So that could be preventing, uh, fixing security issues, that could be legal compliance, such as GDPR, anything that basically is going to prevent adverse events from happening, and all the things you do for your own throughput, which is your own uh, preserving your own ability to deliver the software safely and effectively, whether it's about automating, uh, automating releases, whether it's about tests, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a very generic way to basically capture what I was saying earlier, delivering business value sustainably and, um, and frequently. On top of this, you can map initiatives, which are going to be sizable projects or features that you want to capture as things of their own. And basically, this is going to be this is going to model your strategy within Echoes. So, if I look at um, at this view here, it's going to really going to show you how, for example, you're working here on a replatforming project that itself contributes to mitigating risks and to improving your throughput, and how the throughput itself can be measured by the lead time and the delivery frequency as uh, recommended by the Dora metrics. So the goal is really to have this whole context of the work we're doing, we're doing it for replatforming because it's going to contribute to this, because it's going to contribute to that, and have this ancestry of why we're doing things. 
And um, again, as you can see, it's really presented in a way that anybody can understand, um, being able to, to, uh, to, to, to answer very simply that, yes, the, the Phoenix project right now is taking 6% of our effort. We are 48% into completion, et cetera, et cetera. Compared to the talk that I was giving earlier, what we want in the future is for you to be able to plug in any arbitrary metrics that are valuable for you and to be able to confront the efforts to the observable results. So asking questions such as, uh, were the 20% of efforts that we have invested into throughput sufficient to put us in control of our technical debt? Uh, did we actually manage to reduce the number of incidents by working last quarter a significant amount of our time on risk mitigation, et cetera, et cetera? Um, now I'm going to talk briefly about how this data is actually collected, because one of the points that I made during the, the talk was developer experience. The problem is most solutions that exist that try to have this kind of level of details and visibility on the activity, they, they enforce a process on all engineers. They basically say, we're going to hook Jira, and you're going to have to file a ticket for everything that you do, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's not the approach that we wanted, because we, we strongly believe that the teams should be in controls of the, of the tools and the processes that they adopt. They should pick the things that they make them most productive, and it's our problem to make sure that we can work with this. So that's why the way that we operate with Echoes is that all those configurations that you define in terms of outcomes and projects that you are pursuing, they get uh, published to GitHub as labels on all of the repos on which Echoes is installed. So we give you a, a consistent way across the board to tag a pull request with why they exist in the first place. And this is the whole idea, basically the core idea behind Echoes, is being able to, to classify work based on why it exists. Um, how it works in practice, well, you're all familiar with GitHub. Very simply, you have a pull request, and, you, and you're able to say, well, this is about risk mitigation. This is about my objective A or my project B. And uh, it takes less than a second. And this is what Echoes is going to collect to give visibility into how the team is allocating their efforts. And again, nothing here is going to be individual. Nothing here is going to be judgmental. That's just going to be the reality that down the road, um, for example, collectively, this group has spent 33% of its effort into risk mitigation and 29% into customer value. We have other automations, for example, using Jira. Uh, I know you're using Jira internally, so you can directly tag epics, tickets, issues directly into Jira, meaning that when an engineer opens a pull request, the label is automatically going to appear if it happens to be linked to a Jira ticket. So there's not even an action here which is necessary. But the good thing about this is that it gives the teams the freedom to decide how they want to operate. In some of our customers, we have companies um, who were basically, there's one team using Jira, there's one team using Linear. Uh, we have companies that didn't even agree on GitHub uh, because of acquisitions and other stuff. So they are a mix of GitLab and GitHub or multiple GitHub organizations. That's fine. The contract basically is that as long as work is tagged with the outcomes and initiatives as configured in Echoes, we're going to be able to work with that, collect the data, and be able to surface to management um, what it is that the teams is getting busy with. Do we have the right level of focus? Are we putting our efforts in the right things? So that's the very condensed demo. I don't know if there's any questions or anything that you wanted to. Uh... I look at, but uh, no more questions. So fine. Thank you. Thank you again, Arnaud. And uh, uh, I could mention as well that uh, we are prior and we try currently uh, Echoes at Akineo. 
uh, with uh, an engineering manager and some uh, uh, some people and some teammates. So uh, yeah, we'll show and we'll see if it could fit uh, for our needs and uh, and you. Again, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everyone. And uh, enjoy your weekend and see you for the next Beer and Tech. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.